0: Thanks, Jay, for, for sharing. Uh, these great words of life with us. Uh, next year, as we are, uh, we're, we're going through our annual planning for next year, our uh, mission trip to Ecuador will be taking place in August, uh, Dominican Republic at the end of June, early July. Uh, applications for that trip, what's, we are still hearing testimonies from our last trip, but we're still, uh, yeah, applications will be available at the beginning of January, uh, so we want to get that out to you in order that you can think about it, pray about it, take time off work. Uh, make sure that if you're wanting to, you know, if you're planning your summer schedule out, that you can do so accordingly. We really love for more people to gain a heart uh, for what God is doing in, in Ecuador, and the DR, and, and amongst the nations of the world. So, um, yeah, please uh, listen to other testimonies that have been shared uh, throughout you know, throughout the past on our on our podcast or online, uh, and see if the Lord would be calling you to to go as well. And boy, it was, I don't know what year it was, but when I was in the, in fourth grade, uh, fourth grade, <clears throat> it was the first time I remember going to, uh, back to the land that my parents were, were, were from, Korea, went to South Korea. <clears throat> when I was in fourth grade, the winter, I remember going back and uh, there's a lot that I remember about the trip, but one of the, the, the shameful things that I remember about going to Korea in fourth grade was um, riding on a subway with my brother and with some some relatives, and as we're <clears throat> riding on the subway, there was a. Uh, I, I'm assuming he was a homeless man. He was dressed in in, in just poor, dirty clothes. Um, he had a, 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 a kind of a walking stick, and he had a thing that he was shaking for money. And he, either he was blind, he acted like he's blind, he looked blind, but he was making these strange noises as he was walking around to different people, uh, standing in front of them, asking them for, for money. He wasn't asking. He was just shaking his can. He wasn't saying anything. And I remember the first time I saw him, I was disgusted by him. And I say this to my shame. I'm certainly not proud of this. But there was something disgusting about him to me. And as he got closer and closer, I started feeling just angry, angry, I started feeling scared. All of these emotions started coming to my mind, and as he got closer and closer, I grabbed onto that my seat a little bit tighter because I didn't want him to come any closer to me. And if I could have, I feel like I would have reached out and and kicked him so that he could stay far, far away from me. I wrestled with this for a long time as I got older and I realized that um, that's not the appropriate reaction that I should have towards a person made in the image of God. But I didn't have a filter to my emotions. I didn't have a filter to what I was feeling. And I was very disgusted when I saw that blind, begging, crippled man walking towards me. It took me a long, long time to, to try and make sense of why I felt that. It wasn't just like, I mean, I, I would understand if I was afraid being a kid. I would understand if if I was you know, if he smelled bad, but there was something almost like a rage that rose up within me that said, I really despise this person. I don't know if you ever felt like that when you saw either a homeless person or a person who was handicapped physically, mentally, emotionally, But I wrestled with that as I was growing up because I hated the feeling that I had when I looked at that guy and I responded with such utter hatred and utter disgust. that I was appalled not only that he was the way he was, but I was appalled even more as I grew older at the way that I looked at that man. Today I want to talk about a person who was in a similar situation as that man but I want to look at two people who responded in an extremely different way than I did when I was in fourth grade, and to see what God did through that action that's found in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, as we continue for just a few more weeks on this series of what happens on an ordinary day, this is the first in 14 of 14 encounters in the book of Acts where a human being, someone just like you and me, are used by God to perform a miracle that gives life to somebody in a position, in a situation of dire need. Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 is the true story of something that happened about 2,000 years ago outside of the temple that was built by King Herod in about 20 AD. The same temple area that king solomon created that temple about 700 years before jesus that was destroyed by the uh, by the enemies of israel that was later rebuilt by herod during the time of jesus that's the backdrop the situation the setting for acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 and this is god's word one day peter and john were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon Then Peter said, silver, gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. Peter and John says in verse one were going up to the temple at the time of prayer about three in the afternoon. So every day at three in the afternoon, the people of God would walk to the temple and they would pray. So for Peter and John, as you can see, this is what they do every day. This is part of their routine. It's part of their ordinary day. Just another day for Peter and John walking to the temple. Verse 2 says, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple court. So here you see Peter and John joining the throngs of people who would go, To the temple at three o'clock every day to pray and knowing that masses of people would be coming this blind beggar would be carried by people and put in front of the temple gate called beautiful and he would beg there because scores of people would come and so you see this collision course of people an ordinary day this lame man what he does every day Drop me off right here, Uber. Just plot me here. This is my day. Peter and John on their ordinary day. And on this collision course, something is going to happen. What would you do? And what do you do? What do you do when in the midst of an ordinary day, someone interrupts you? Do you see an interruption to your routine as an interruption an encumbrance, a bother, an obstacle to you getting to do what you want to do, or do you see it as an opportunity for an encounter of a lifetime? Peter and John were used by God on this normal day, just like when you walk out of here and you go to Publix, you go to the Winter Garden Village, you go to some restaurant downtown with your friends, an ordinary day, has the power and the potential to be life-transforming and eternally significant for somebody that you might encounter. The first thing that we have to understand, you can't be used by God if you're not willing to be used. You can't be used if you're not willing to be used. So here they are, ordinary days, and they're walking towards each other. And Peter and John, he's got we've got places to go. We've got prayers to pray. We've got worlds to conquer. We've got sermons to preach. We've got all these things to do. And in the midst of that, a beggar comes and he says, give me some money. What would you do? <laughs> what would you do? You, you've got your routine. You stop by 7-11 in the morning with whoever's taking you to, to school. You get your uh, energy shot of coffee and you're going out the door and someone says, hey, can you give me some money? What do you do? You're on your way to work. You're stopped at that stoplight, and you see a homeless person with a sign that says, God bless you, anything helps, and he walks right by you. What do you do? I have my routine in my day. Last week, I, was, I had dropped off Elijah at school at 8.30. I was on my way to the YMCA. Here's my plan. 8 8.30 drop them off, 9 o'clock, I'm going to get into the gym, I'm going to shoot some baskets, about 30, 45 minutes, just work up a sweat, going to jump into the locker room, 15-minute shower, I'm going to go out to the cafe at the Dr. Phyllis Y, I'm going to maybe uh, wait for Olive to come out with Elise as they do their thing, 10 o'clock, I might get a drink, open up my computer, start doing my sermon prep, 12 o'clock I have a meeting, I'm going to wait, and then that night I had, uh, I had to pick up Elijah, and then I have class, i got to prepare for that. So that was my plan. If I get into the gym, about I don't know what time it was, about 9.15, I'm thinking to myself, 30 minutes, 40 minutes max, and then I'm out of there. I've got to do things. I've got all this stuff to do. I walk into the gym, and I hear a ball bouncing. And I walk into the gym, and there's this guy there. And I'm like, okay, he's on one side of the court. I'm going to go to the far opposite side because I just want to do my thing, not really needing to engage, don't want to talk to people. So I go to the other side, and he walks up to me, and he says, have you ever played around the world? He's a guy in his 20s. He said, have you ever played around the world? I said, yeah, I have. But do you want to play around the world with me? And I said, nah, thanks. I'm just, I'm just going to work up a sweat. Why is that funny? <laughs> I said, nah, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to work up a sweat, get my heart going a little bit, and then I'm out of here. I was shooting. and But every now and then, you know, as I'm going to get my ball, I turn around and he's like staring at me. I'm like, man, this guy's like kind of awkward. It's just the two of us in here. So I'm not, he's not like staring at, at anyone else. He's looking at me. So I'm shooting and, and I turn and he's like staring at me. he's getting close. We're on opposite sides, like two full courts. I'm on the far opposite side and he's like standing at half court. I'm like, dude, who does that? That's creepy, creepy stuff. And then he crosses over into my side. I'm like, dude, you're impinging. On, this is like about territorial rights on the basketball court. I don't know what you're doing. And he comes into my side, and he's like, have you ever played 21? I'm like, dude, who has not played 21? <laughs> I said, yes, I've played 21 before. And the whole time, I've been there for about 20 minutes. I'm ready. To, I'm 10, Ten more minutes, and I'm, I'm done. He says, do you want to play 21 with me? I'm like, man. So I was like, this guy doesn't take the hint. I mean, first of all, I said, no, I don't want to play around the world. I'm just trying to work up a sweat. I move from the from your side of the court to the opposite side of the court so I can be alone, just clear my mind. Like, do you want to play 21? I was like, okay, I'll play. (laughs) So I play, and and, and, and no joke. I mean, I'm I'm going to try to recall the conversation as specifically and as accurately as possible. He said, okay, uh, 21. I said, 21. He's like. Ones and twos or twos or threes? Meaning, are we counting by ones and twos or twos or threes? I said, twos or threes, because they'd go by faster. I said, twos and threes. He said, okay, um, break from the foul line or the three-point line? I said, I don't care, dude. Just, you're taking up too much time. That's what I thought. But I said, uh, three-point line is fine. He said, take everything back or just hit the rim? I said, take everything back. He said, uh, and he looked around. And he's like, uh, the lines are out or no, no boundaries? He said, no boundaries. He said, um... Tips or no tips. I'm like, dude, let's just play the game. Just play the game. So I'm like, I don't care. You tell me what you want to do. Let's play. So we play. <laughs> it's the most frustrating thing ever. And then we play. The game is done. And I'm getting, getting my ball to go put it back on the rack. He's like, you want to play one more game? And he's like, that one was not very long. Let's play one more game. I was like, all right, one more game. Play one more game. And after that, I'm, I'm walking off the court. And he's like, hey, hey. Um, I don't have to work for another couple hours. Just do one more game. I said, all right, one more game. That's it. I got to go. Like, I got to go. I got, like, stuff to do. I got to go. So I play one more game, and then I'm like, good game, dude. It was, it was, it was really good. You know, when you, when you shake hands, you know, game's over. I'm out of here. See ya. I wouldn't want to be you." So I said, all right, peace out, Bo. And, and I go to, my, I go to change, uh, take off my shoes. So I'm getting ready to, to pick up my stuff. And he walks over to me. And he's like, yeah, I played basketball at Freedom High School, a starting point guard. I was like, that's awesome, dude. That's great, man. That's great. You got, you got good game. He's like, yeah, but, you know, uh, I quit playing basketball. Now I go to Valencia College. That's like, great, man. You, you pursue your dreams. Education is great, man. He's like, yeah, you know, basketball's good, but that's not where the money is. Money's in education. I said, that's right. You got that straight. <laughs> you got that right. You got no future. I'm just kidding. <laughs> In basketball is what I, was, what I was going to say, but I didn't say that because that's mean. But what you were thinking was meaner. So I said, no, it's all good. Uh, it's all good. Uh, you, you go do your thing and find out his name is Alejandro and he works at Publix. And finally I got my bag and I was going to the locker room and I was so relieved. And I, I just, man, 15 extra minutes off of my routine. And as I was doing my stuff and taking a shower and walking out of there and going to the cafe, I just felt like God saying, hey, what was that all about? I said, what do you mean? I had my day down to the 30-minute increment and he was impinging upon my schedule. But didn't you learn many, many years ago when you started life and ministry? Since when did people become interruptions to ministry? Don't you know that people are ministry? They're not interruptions to what we have to do. People is the essence or the essence of life. And I remember just, God, I'm sorry. Lord, help me to see Alejandro again. Help me to find him. Help me to see him if I see him again. you know, The hard thing is, man, even as I was playing, I was like, yeah, I, I, should, I should share the hope of Christ with him. I should bring him to church. I should, all of these things going on in my mind, but all I could think of in that moment was, no, that's going to just take up more time. I've got things to do. I've got places to be. I've got people to meet, and he's not one of the things on my schedule. What do you do with the interruptions to your day? What do you do when you've got these things to do? Could it be that on your ordinary days, these interruptions can be opportunities that God is allowing you to encounter him in order that you might be used in a way unlike anything that you've imagined? Because it's crazy. Peter and John, they see this guy interrupting their prayer life. What would they do? Look at what it says, look at what it says in, in, in verse uh, verse 4. Peter looked straight at him as did John. You know how tempting it is if there's an interruption to my day to not want to look because if I look, I have to do something. I look at it, if I see it, I might actually feel compassion and burden and might have to do something about it. We're only willing to be, we're only going to be used by God if we're willing to be used by God. And I wasn't willing on that day to my shame. And not only did they say, did they look at him, but Peter said, look at us. I want you to see me. I want to look at you in the eyes. I don't want to run away from this. I don't want to escape this because once I see, I have a responsibility to act upon that. Peter and John were willing to be used because wherever they went, they were willing to be used by God. Brooke Frazier, um, who writes uh, some songs for Hillsong, uh, Hosanna, and other songs, she went to visit the, the, the country of Rwanda in Africa uh, just uh, years after the, after the, uh, the genocide where the, the Hutus and Tutsis and all, you know, countless 800,000 people were killed because of their race. And she was there years after and she met a girl named Albertine who was rescued out of that genocide and grew up to become this beautiful young girl. And she met the man who rescued her and he says, I brought you here so that you could write a song so that you can go and tell people in America about the reality of the genocide that they will not face and will not look at. And she wrote this song called Albertine. And the the, the, the main line says, Now that I have seen, I am responsible. The reason why a lot of us don't want to look is because we don't want to be responsible. Because what we're really saying is, God, I'm not ready to be used by you. I'm not willing to be used by you. I'd rather turn away because I don't want to see and I don't want to feel and I don't want to act. God says, listen, if you do, if you're willing to let somebody interrupt your day, Well, it could be a divine encounter. Could it be that the reason why you're always getting people calling you on that old person's cell phone who used to have that number and saying, oops, it's the wrong number? Maybe it's not the wrong number. Maybe what you think is an interruption to your day is an opportunity for you to say, hey, you know what? Um, Maybe this is the second time you've called. Maybe it's not the wrong number. Maybe you've reached the right number because God wants you to hear that he loves you and that he cares for you. And maybe the worst thing that they'll do is they'll hang up on you. The worst thing that they'll do is they'll never call you back. But what if that could be the very missed call that they need in order that their life would be changed? Could it be maybe that the reason why, right as we're about to pray for our meal at Alehouse, the server comes and starts talking to us, maybe because God wants us to pray for that server because of something that's going on in his life or her life or that's going on in a situation that we don't know about. Peter and John were willing to be used by God, and because they're willing to be used by God, God used them to do something far bigger than they knew because they didn't see interruptions to their day as interruptions, but they saw them as opportunities. And when we go out into this world saying, God, I'm willing to be used, open up doors, open up opportunities. I want to be used by you. Whatever you have for me, help me to walk through that door because there's people waiting on the other side who could just be waiting for somebody like me to bring the hope of Christ on an ordinary day like this. The first thing that we see is we can't be used if we're not willing to be used. The second thing is we can't give what we don't have. Look at what he says. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Verse 5, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He's expecting that they're going to give him silver and gold. But what do they say? Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. a very simple thought. God's never called us to give what we don't have, nor can we give what we don't have. On Wednesday night, Wednesday night, I came home from church. After our prayer meeting and after Manny and Elijah had finished with Awana, it was about 9 o'clock, and uh, we got in the door, and Elise, our little one, two-year-old, was not sleeping yet. And so she came running, running, running out, and she's like, Daddy! I said, hi, Alisi. Hi, Olive. Hi, hi, hi. A hug and kiss and hug and kiss. And she said, Daddy, I have a present for you. I was like, yes, this is amazing. wonder what it could be. I wonder what it could be. Could it be a new car? Like, our car's in the shop. Maybe she got a new car. Or have you seen the new MacBook Pro? Those things are crazy, crazy. Maybe she got me a MacBook Pro. Or maybe she, I don't know what it is. And she said, Daddy, wait right here. Wait right here. And so she pitter-pattered off. Somewhere and then she came back and she said, Daddy, are you ready? Are you ready? I was so excited. What it's in this, she didn't give me this box, but I I brought the box for dramatic effect. This is what she gave me. I'm thinking to myself, for Elise so loved her daddy that she gave here it is, here it is, ready? A leaf. Daddy, I brought you a leaf. <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed. And I said, but I said, thank, Elise, thank you. Did you get this from our driveway? I said, yeah. <laughs> this is so amazing. This is so great. Go to bed now. It's late. Go to bed, okay? She went to bed. I I said, I had this imaginary conversation with God. I said, God, why couldn't Elise have given me a new car? Why couldn't she have given me that computer that I just saw online that looks so neat? Why why couldn't she have done that? And I heard the Spirit say to me, Son, you have asked some very difficult questions, but this is not one of them. The reason she couldn't give you those things is because she didn't have those things. She could only give to you what she had. And what she had, she gave to you. We can't give what we don't have. And I think a lot of times we're trying to do that. Trying to give out of an empty cup. Look at what he says. Silver and gold. Silver, gold, I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped and he did all of these amazing things. You want to be used by God, you have to understand that you can't give to others what you haven't received first from God. Now, a lot of us are trying, wanting to be used by God for whatever reason, but we're getting frustrated Because we're like, man, why can't I, I I, want to give love, but I end up being so annoyed. I want to love my kids, but I end up being so impatient with them. I want to love my husband, but why is it that when I go to do it, I just, I get so frustrated and I can't. And I only think about the, the wrong that he's done because you can't give what you don't have. Guys, if we don't have love in our hearts, we're not going to be able to give love. If you don't have time, you're not going to be able to give time. If you don't have patience, you're not going to be able to give patience. You can't give what you don't have. And a lot of us are giving out of emptiness because we're not being filled with God. That's why two weeks ago, our message was we need to be healed by God. And only after we've been healed by God and at least heard that message, can we even talk about being used by God to bring healing to other people. Unless we realize, you know what, I've got to stop blaming other people. I've got I to gotta be sick of being sick. I've got to move towards Jesus, the healer. Unless we do that, we're not going to be able to give healing to other people. Forget it. As much as we want to, as much as we try, here's your reality. We can't give what we don't have. And we can't give to other people what we're not receiving from, other, uh, from God. Here's your reality. If you're always mean and you're always angry, you think to yourself, man, why does that guy, that girl, whoever she is, she knows so much about Jesus. He knows so much about God. She knows so much about Scripture. He knows so much about the Bible. He knows all these things. But why are they so mean? (laughs) Because you can't give to others what you haven't first received. And when you're angry, frustrated, anxious, bitter, impatient, all of these things are screaming that I'm still hurting. And a hurting person needs to find healing in order to bring healing to other people. Here's why. Because hurt people, you know this, hurt people will constantly be hurt by others very easily. If I have a a, a splinter that I didn't take out and it gets infected, I'm hurt and I don't get healing for this if somebody walks by and they barely touch me, I'm going to be like, ow, that really hurt. They're like, I didn't even do anything. I didn't even touch you. But I'm hurt. Therefore, I easily get hurt by other people. Are you easily hurt by people? Here's another thing. If you're hurt, I've got a finger that hurts and someone walks by, they brush by, I get hurt and then I will blow up on somebody. I can't believe you did this. Didn't you know my finger had a splinter in it? You're so, uh, you're so thoughtless. You're so uncompatic. You're so clumsy. You're so mean. And they're like, wow, that really hurt me. Because hurt people are easily hurt by others, and hurt people hurt people. Are you hurting people often? You can't give what you don't have. Therefore, we need to go to the healer. This is one of the first things I learned in seminary. Our counseling professors got all of us who wanted to be pastors together and said, you guys are the first ones to need to go see a counselor because you can't offer healing and help to people if you haven't sought healing and help for your own soul. You can't plumb the depths of brokenness in other people's hearts if you haven't plumbed the depths of brokenness in your own heart. You can't engage in sin and not be frightened by it if you can't engage in your own sin and stare it in the face and not be frightened by it. You can't give to others what we haven't first received from God. Are you easily hurting people? Did people come to you and say, hey, you know what? You may not have meant this, but I was really hurt by what you said. Or if no one is saying that to you, maybe they're saying that to somebody else. You know what? You know what? When, when, when D.L. said that, I felt really hurt by it. And maybe everyone is telling somebody else. And I, and I need to realize, hey, I, I can't give to people what I can't give what I'm not receiving from God. Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people are easily hurt by other people. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give unto you. You can't give what you don't have. Last thing that we see, last thing that we see, you have far more to offer than you can imagine. You have far more to offer than you can imagine. Right? Two weeks ago, we saw a lame person, a paralytic. Jesus healed him. pool of Bethesda. Last week we saw another lame person and Jesus healed him by the faith of four friends who carried that paralytic through the roof. Here we see another lame person and he too is healed. Jesus is not in the picture and yet he's still the main character. Through Peter and John, ordinary people just like us, God brought healing and used them to minister the healing of Jesus. Is what he says, in, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Even though Jesus is not walking the streets of Jerusalem at the time, he's enthroned in heaven, he becomes the main character. And what Peter and John were helplessly unable to do They were able to do because they became available and conduits of the healing power of God into the life of a layman who all he wanted that day was a little bit of money and he walked out with his life and eternity changed forever. But check this out. When Peter and James walked to the temple that ordinary day, making themselves available, realizing that I can't give what I don't have, but I've got something far greater to give in the name of Jesus, what ends up happening is not only does this guy get Not what he wants, but what he needs. His life has changed forever. If you keep on reading, keep on reading, keep on reading. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says that not only him, but 5,000 people came to know Jesus that day through this testimony. Because on this ordinary day, they said, we're going to be available to be used by you. We're going to look these things in the face. We're going to look at the brokenness in the face. We're going to do something about it. We're going to make ourselves available We're not going to be seeing these as interruptions, but seeing them as opportunities. And when we open up, all of a sudden, Peter and John, what they did not have, they opened themselves up to a great storehouse. Why? Because in the name of Jesus, all the bank of heaven was open to them. And they said, I can withdraw everything because I come in his name. Peter and John realized that in the bank of heaven, they were bankrupt. But in the bank of heaven, Jesus owns it all. So they said, I'm withdrawing from the name of Jesus. And what they thought, I'm only withdrawing a healing, they actually got the saving of 5,000 people. You have far more to offer than you can imagine if you understand that there's power in the name of Jesus and it's his name that you bear and you come to the Father on behalf of others bearing the name of Jesus. A few, a few years ago, before our, our two young ones were born, two younger ones were born, Manny and Olivia and I, went, uh, we went out to California, to San Diego, and we were there for a, for a conference, but we uh, added on a couple days to our trip, and so um, we had a friend who was the executive vice president, chief investment officer at a at a hotel chain, and so he said, uh, "I'll take care of a, a room for two days for you guys." Okay, that'll be awesome. You just get there, just tell them your name, and uh, they'll have everything set up for you. So we went to this hotel in San Diego. Walked up to the counter and said, hey, can I help you guys check in? And said, yeah, um, my name is, let me back up. That man's name was David Kim. Same name as me. Interesting, but also important. Walked up and I said, um, yeah, my name is, is David Kim. All of a sudden, <laughs> the guy who was hey, just kind of doing his job perks up, stands up real straight and says, Mr. Kim, how are you? We have been waiting for you. How was your trip? How was your flight to San Diego? Is there anything we can do? Do you have bags in the car? We can have people. Here, let me get that for you. Bellhop, come over here. And he said, oh, we've got these. And he pulls out from the back these two big gift bags. He says, here you go. We've set you up in the largest suite that we've got, two-bedroom suite. It's beautiful. It's amazing. If there's anything that you... Here, and he takes out a big thing of water, puts it on top of our stuff. He says, here's your water. If there's anything at all that you need, please let me know. We are here for you. I said, wow, this is great. Thank you very much. Now, I, my suspicion is that he thought that I was the David Kim. Because he said to me, have you stayed at our hotel? You have stayed at, oh, you stayed at probably all of our hotels before. That, that tipped me off and said, okay, I'm going to play this up a little bit. I'm going to I didn't, uh, because I didn't know what to ask. I'm a simple person. I'm just a normal person. I don't don't know the names of the famous foods or the famous whatever it is, and I can't ask for it. So I said, no, water would be just fine, thank you. Maybe some Gatorade, some candy, (laughs) some gum. (laughs) A new car would be... I'm just kidding. But regardless of whether he thought I was him or not, at the mention of the name, the mention of his name, everything changed, and things that were not available to me before all of a sudden became available in abundance. Resources that I had no business asking for. All I needed to do was ask. Because I was being treated as if I were him. This is what Peter and John are doing. They realize, hey, Peter and John, ain't nobody know about us, but listen, we come in the name of Jesus. They knock on the door of heaven and say, we're coming in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, you guys don't have much, but oh my goodness, Jesus has everything. Guys, don't think that you have nothing to give to somebody. Don't think that you, in fact, you're not limiting yourself. You're limiting the power of God who owns everything. As you come asking for a small miracle, I come and I save 5,000 people. Don't think that you can't. Yeah, that doesn't mean you don't go and you got to receive everything from God. But if you've got all that stuff, don't think that's all you have. Because you're far more than who you are. You come in the name of Jesus and everything opens up. You can pray healing for people. You can pray salvation for people. You can pray provision for people. You can pray whatever it is when you come in the name of Jesus. And so many times we limit what God can do through our lives because we're only thinking of what I can do. I can only do so much. I'm only one person. But he says, in the name of Jesus, like you speak life, you breathe life, you pray in the name of Jesus and you get treated as if you were Jesus. Everything that Jesus deserved, he said, has been given to you because the Father, as he has loved his son, so now he loves you. It's an amazing kind of grace that has been opened up into our lives. See, every one of the healing of the lame people in the uh, past three weeks, the first week, paralyzed, but Jesus says, listen, your greatest healing is not physical. Go and stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. You're going to lose your soul if you, stop, if you don't stop sinning and rep- if you don't repent. Last week, looks at a paralyzed man. The first thing Jesus says your sins are forgiven. But here, there's no mention of sin. Here, it's just get up and walk. And he walks and he praises God. But there's no mention about forgiveness of sins or anything like that. So what's the, what's the deal here? Can I... Can I tell you that in reality, all three of these healings of the lame are saying the exact same thing. We just have to dig a little bit. It's, it's crucial, this point here. In Verse 2, crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Crippled man carried and left at the temple gate called Beautiful. If you know anything about the Temple Mount, you know that it was designed in concentric circles. What that meant was on the outer court, the outer courtyard was the court of the Gentiles. That means if you're a Gentile, means you're not a Jew. You could come to that area of the courtyard and you can pray. Right? That's all on the, on the outskirts. And it's in that area that the money changers came and were buying and selling and ripping people off. And you remember what Jesus said in Luke's gospel? He said, I, my father said, this will be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Why was Jesus so angry? It's not about the simple fact that you can't sell stuff at church. That's not what he was angry about, That, at least not in that gospel. He says, it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. But because you're buying and selling and bringing all this stuff in here, people from the nations cannot pray. This is the issue. He's saying, get these out of here. And he overturns the tables and he whips everything. And he says, get these out of here because my house is supposed to be a place where everybody can come and pray. That was the court of the Gentiles. A little bit further in was the court of the women. If you were a Jewish woman, you could come into that place and you can pray. But that's as far as you could come. The next circle was called the holy place, which only Jewish men could go and they could pray. And then within the holy place, the closest place where the altar was was the holy of holies, the most holy place where only the high priest and he only once a year could go and offer sacrifices on the day of atonement for the sins of the people. Now, this is the way the temple structure was set up and the beautiful gate was in between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, meaning that he could never get into the presence of God, because he'd be laid at the gate. And Leviticus 18.21 says no lame person will ever enter the presence of God. And so what was Peter and John doing? Understanding that he could never get into the presence of God in healing, removing the lameness, that now you can enter into that place where before you could have never gone before. And the most important thing is not a physical healing. You need Jesus in your life. In the name of Jesus, get up, walk, and claim your inheritance in Jesus Christ. And so he goes and he encounters him in that place. I realize as I'm thinking about this, the reason why I'm so appalled when I look at that blind man from 30 years ago. Because I see in that man a picture of my own inner brokenness. God designs the brokenness and the sickness of our lives in order to be a mirror to show us our own inner condition. I look at his blindness and I see my own blindness and I hate the blindness in me so that it made me want to hate him. I see the the physical disablement in him and I see the spiritual inability in me to get to do the things that I want to do. And in him, I'm seeing everything that I am inwardly and the dirt and the filth that is in me, that I hate so much, I project upon him. Who are we in this story? I know the end game is we want to be Peter and John, but here's your reality and here's my reality. Before we're Peter and John bringing hope to others, we have to realize that we're the lame man. We're the lame woman. We're the one who has no way to get to God. We're the one who has no hope but to for the mercy of God from someone who would stop and would give us the hope of Christ. And Jesus stops for you and for me. And he heals you and me in our lameness, in our disability. And he says, rise up, rise up and walk in order that we, like Peter and John, healed from our disability, could then go and bring healing to the broken people in our lives who desperately need what Jesus alone can give. Will you be used by God in that way? Will you receive his healing and then be an agent of his healing? You got to want it. You got to be available. You got to receive. And then you got to understand that if you've received him, you have far more to give, to offer than you can imagine. Let's pray. Guys, do you feel like you're trying to give something that you don't have? Do you feel like you're trying to give out of an empty cup rather than a cup that's overflowing with abundant life? If you do, then maybe a great thing to do this week would be you go and you carve out time to meet God on an ordinary day. And you train yourself to receive from God let him love you let him heal you let him soak over you let him wash over you don't rush your time with the healer don't hurry through your time just rest in the presence of the healer and let him so fill you so saturate your heart so that you can give out of an abundance rather than out of a lack let's pray Lord fill me I want more of you in my life I want more of you in my life. Help me to be who you want me to be. Help me to do what you want me to do. Help me to go where you want me to go. Let me be the hands and feet of Christ, but first let me receive from you. Fill me that I might be emptied, knowing that I can always be filled with more of you. Let's pray together for a few moments right now. Let's receive from the Lord God. Be filled in order that we can be used. Let's pray together for a couple of moments. Heaven. So often, when we read uh, scriptures, we want to put ourselves in the sandals of the hero, to be the four friends, to be the Jesus who casts out demons, heals, raises the dead, to be Peter and John, who are used by God. And we have to be those things. But the first thing we need to be is to realize that God is offering all of these things, that we are the broken, we are the hurting, we're not the main character, we're the one in need of the touch of the main character. We're the broken, we're the needy, we're the sick, who need to be healed, and only when we are can we be like the sick person who found a doctor worth raving about. But we can't speak of a great physician whom we have not encountered ourselves. So, Father, heal us and touch us. We're broken by sin. We're broken by life. We're broken by the world. But when we come to you, we find ourselves so beautifully made complete so that we offer the broken pieces of our lives in order that you would shine through the cracks so that a world may see not the beauty of us, the container, but the beauty of you who resides in these jars of clay. The glory of God seen through broken vessels. Lord, may we be used by you and would you be pleased to use our lives to bring healing to others, ultimately healing to the nations. We love you because you've loved us first and we want to go forth as healers because you've healed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.